As you are able, please stand and join me for the reading of the scripture. Take out your pew Bible or your personal Bible or your phone and follow along. Acts 1, beginning with the sixth verse, the ascension of Jesus. So when they had come together, they asked him, they being the disciples, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers." The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, in the liturgical church year, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ occurs 40 days after his resurrection. The actual ascension day was Thursday, and this is what we call Ascension Sunday. Next Sunday, we will observe Pentecost, the the celebration of the birthday of the church when the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers in a most powerful way. Pentecost actually was the second festival, a yearly festival, that the the, uh, Jewish people followed uh, at the time of Jesus, and that came 50 days after Passover. Passover, you remember, is what we would call the Last Supper when Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room for the last time. So, as we have all of that into perspective, let's think about this. After the resurrection, Jesus had been with his disciples and his followers. He was continuing to minister and to teach, and he was teaching them especially about the kingdom of God. He had told them specifically to wait to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, that promise being the Holy Spirit descending upon them. So now Jesus and the disciples were back in Bethany, and that is just outside of Jerusalem, and it's where the triumphal entry actually began. You remember Bethany also as the, the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, where Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And it was in Bethany that the crowds first came to herald to acknowledge that Jesus was Messiah, the Lord and Savior. 
So, put your pl- put yourself in the place of the disciples. We and Jesus are back in Bethany, and the disciples are probably thinking, "Oh my goodness, this is it." He told us to wait. He told us about the kingdom of God. And here we are back where it all started. This must be the time. This must be the place where Israel is going to be restored, where the kingdom of God will come on earth, where Jesus will reign forever. Well, the disciples were right in believing that God is going to establish his kingdom here on earth. Jesus had taught them that, had promised that it was going to happen, and he told them to just wait. Now that's where you and I can really relate. We know how that goes. I believe in their humanness, in their excitement, and in their state of trying to figure it out, the disciples thought that this truly was the time when Jesus would reign forever and ever. He'd been raised from the dead. It'd been 40 days after all. You know how it, long, it, how hard it is for us to wait, right? So they thought, hmm, this must be it. It all made sense. Perhaps they thought that they had it all figured out. The neat thing about it in this story in scripture, Jesus did not reprimand them because truly their belief was right on point. They knew that his kingdom was going to be established forever. But what he did need to correct them on was this. He told them, don't be obsessed with the time of when I am coming back, when the kingdom will be, able, will be established forever. Don't be obsessed with when that is going to be occurring, but instead focus on your work of being my disciple. I want to tell you a little bit more of of the Ascension history, and for that, I need you to turn to your hymnal. Once a teacher, always a teacher. Please turn to number 312, and I think this will help you. You know, often in the United Methodist Church, we kind of skip over Ascension Sunday, and this is a very important day in the life of our church as we put our sights, our focus on Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. So hymn number 312 Hail the day that sees him rise, that is Ascension Day, to his throne above the skies, Christ a while to mortals given, meaning that he came down from heaven, son of God, son of man, God incarnate, he, he ministered, he served for three years, and then, as it says, he reascends to his native heaven. Verse 2, there in heaven... The glorious triumph waits. You know, scripture tells us, my friends, that even Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. That only God knows when the second coming will occur. So he is waiting in heaven. Scripture tells us that he is seated at the right hand of God. He is reigning in all divinity from the right hand of God in heaven. Continuing, it says, lift your heads, eternal gates. Christ has conquered death and sin. Take the king of glory in. And see the heaven it, its Lord receives, yet he loves the earth he leaves. Though returning to his throne, still he calls the world his own. Scripture tells us in Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest. 
that he is truly interceding for us. He is praying for us. He is there loving on us from his place of sovereign authority in heaven. And then finally, verse 4, see he lifts his hands above, see he shows the prince of love. That line gets me because it calls our attention to the fact that he was wounded and pierced for our transgressions. Hark his gracious lips bestow blessings on his church below. That's the image that we should have of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That he loves us so much that he is truly continually praying blessings over us. Over us personally and especially as the corporate body, the church. Thank you for that. So with that in mind, I've said that in Hebrews, we we know that Jesus is referred to as the high priest. In Romans, Paul talks about Jesus reminding that he is interceding for us on our behalf. And we said it. We stated it in our affirmation of faith that we believe God allowed Jesus to ascend back to him. He was taken up in the cloud of glory And there is that promise then that he will return. Now, what do we profess in that affirmation of faith? We say we believe that Jesus ascended into heaven, that he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And then we go on to say from thence, from there, from heaven, he shall come back to earth to judge the quick, which means the living and the dead. So in other words, Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace, is on high, ruling over the entire world. He is truly the eternal sovereign. So on this Ascension Day, we are reminded that he and he alone is worthy of our praise. He and he alone is to be glorified with our worship our adoration, our witness, and our service. Just last year, Bethel Music put out a new song called Be Enthroned. And I think the lyrics speak very clearly to who and what we should be about. We've come to join the song sung long before our lives to raise our voice along with heaven and earth alike. We've seen your faithful hand, your mercy without end, a king who bled and died, a God who sacrificed. Be enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations, for you are worthy, Lord of all. Unto you, the slain and risen king, we lift our voices with heaven, singing, Worthy. Worthy, Lord of all. All through this life we lead, and on to eternity, our endless praise we will cry, Jesus, be glorified. That's what Ascension Day is all about.
So Ascension Sunday, I believe, is all about our perspective. Instead of looking high in the heavens, trying to figure out when the second coming of Christ may occur, or trying to figure out exactly what's going on with Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be focusing on the here and now. I believe the ascension of Jesus should not be viewed just as the end of his life and his ministry. But especially it should be viewed as the beginning of a new phase of his ministry through his church, through us, empowered by the the Holy Spirit. The assurance of his return and the measure of his presence and power that is available to us are truly solidified in his ascension. So it's about what we know And one scholar puts it this way, Ascension Sunday is about the dangers of looking high when Jesus asks us to look low at the people he came to redeem. Looking low to the poor and the suffering ones rather than to dream of earthly power and earthly glory. You see, it's not about us. It's all about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, I have just four insights. They're really commands from Jesus from our passage of Scripture that I'd like to to point out to you. First of all, in addition to reminding the disciples that only God knows the time when Jesus is coming back and his kingdom will be fully restored, in verse 8, our text says what Jesus told the disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus was encouraging the the disciples to be prepared to receive the Holy Spirit, the power and the authority that he had promised. You remember the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as orphans. I will ask my Father and he will give you a helper. Some translations say an advocate, a comforter. And that is the Holy Spirit. We are are recipients of that same Holy Spirit power and authority. Once we profess Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives, God's sanctifying grace continues to transform our lives, our actions, our service, and our witness through the power of the Holy Spirit. So through the the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to be the church. It's not at all about earthly power or earthly authority Quite frankly, it's not about our ideas or our agendas or plans for our lives or plans for this church. Instead, it's all about humbling ourselves, surrendering to God's will for our lives, and being obedient in big and small ways to the will of God, submitting to his divine will and authority, and living out his call for our lives And for this church. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we have glimpses of the kingdom of God when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us here on this earth. When we allow the Holy Spirit to fall fresh on us and move among us as we worship 
as we serve Jesus, the King of Kings. One scholar suggested the kingdom of God does not mean earthly or political or military kingdom, but it means the present spiritually directed reign of God. That's through the power of the Holy Spirit. The present spiritually directed reign of God gradually transforming lives and entire cultures through the power of the Holy Spirit. We must acknowledge the Holy Spirit's presence and depend on that power, that power that prompts us, that nudges us. Sometimes you've heard me say before, it's a Holy Spirit two-by-four that hits me or catapults us forward into ministry, into service. We must acknowledge and open up to all that the Holy Spirit wants for us. Next week being Pentecost, I'm sure Maria will have more on the Holy Spirit. Stay tuned. Secondly, in our scripture, Jesus tells the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is so important for us today. We are called to be image bearers, to live a life that points to Jesus, our Lord and Savior through our relationships, through our service, through our witness, through our priorities. It's the here, there, and everywhere that our church is called to. It's living out our faith and witness in such a way that everything about our lives and the choices and priorities that we make point to Jesus. Again, I will remind us, it is not about us. It is all about being witnesses for Jesus Christ. And it's not about doing a mission project or writing a check to the food pantry or another uh, nonprofit. That's part of our calling, but instead, it's all about living our lives in such a way that people see Jesus in us. I told a church member recently that we are called to missional living And I just have to say, folks, that's not new. (laughs) Missional living is our calling as followers of Jesus. Our mission is to make Jesus real to someone else, to represent Jesus by being his image bearer. And I just have to remind you, we need to take time to be in relationship with others. Because when we allow the Holy Spirit to work, when we give each other time, relationships are built and therein Jesus is glorified. And when we choose to be in relationship with others, when we have the willingness and the openness, not only to do something for them, but especially to learn from them, we are truly being witnesses and followers of Jesus. You know, just to put it into perspective, Jerusalem was home to the disciples. So that's our here. Judea was 19 miles away. Samaria was 35 miles. So that's in perspective our there. And then, of course, to the ends of the earth, that's our everywhere. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive an outpouring of power and authority to witness, to minister to, to do what scripture says will be far more than what Jesus did. 
Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Are we? Thirdly, in verse 11, it says that two men, we think, are angels, asked the disciples, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So that is the reassurance that someday, when the second coming of Jesus occurs, he will come in a cloud of God's glory back to earth, just as he ascended into heaven. But I love the question that those angels asked the disciples. Why do you stand here looking up? What I believe is implied is this. Look around. Look around. And certainly, certainly the message for us today, I have a sense that the disciples uh, got it, and we need to get it as well. Don't you see what needs to be done now? I hear Jesus telling us, don't waste any time. There's an urgency for you to be true disciples of mine. Prioritize worship as you humble yourselves before me, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Do what I've asked you to do. Feed the poor, minister to the sick, take care of the widows and orphans. Glorify me by following my example of denying myself, of taking up my cross, of putting others first. Take up your cross, Jesus is saying. Look around. And here is where I believe we need to pray the scripture. Ask for God to reveal to each one of us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to enlighten the eyes of our heart to see what needs to be done and then to do it. Look around. Ask God to give you the ears to hear the cries of the needy and especially to hear what is not being said. Stop looking up. In other words, stop trying to figure out when Jesus is going to come back. Stop trying to get it all figured out and just serve him. Look around. What do you see that needs to be done here and now? Look around. How is God calling you to live? How is God calling you to serve? My friends, reality is there are so many people in the county that do not know Jesus. This is urgent. And finally, after the ascension, the disciples walked back to Jerusalem, and scripture tells us they gathered upstairs in the room where they were staying. And then it says, all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. That's when I think that they really got it. They took heed to the angel's counsel. They stopped looking heavenward. They stopped trying to figure it all out. And they looked around. They realized that the way they could be most effective was by continuing to nurture their relationship with their heavenly father. I'm sure their prayers were that of, oh, bring it on. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We need your power. We need your authority so that we might be your witnesses in the world. But this is the foundation for us. 
our effectiveness as witnesses comes by way of time spent in prayer with our Heavenly Father. And I don't mean praying a a wish list. I don't mean telling us our idea of a Santa Claus God what we want. I mean humbly basking in God's presence, in adoration, in praise, and in worship, communing with him. I mean truly praying the word of God, using scripture as our prayer so that we can more intimately know our Heavenly Father and His voice. And I mean daily surrendering to Him, submitting to His will for our lives, asking for guidance and direction, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, and then obediently following through. In conclusion, I simply want to say, my friends, look around. Look around. Let's be the church, especially outside the walls of our buildings. Let's glorify the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's sing alleluia to the King. Let's follow him. Let's be his witnesses. Let's live out deeds of love and mercy. Let's live in the shadow of the cross, claiming fully that Jesus paid it all. Jesus overcame sin and death. He overcame all of the powers of hell so that we might live victoriously and abundantly. Let's keep our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of of our faith. Let's keep our eyes and let our prayer truly be lead on, eternal sovereign. Lead on, O King eternal. Let it be so in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.